0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. This is episode 227 of the podcast. We are coming to you again from Belgium. Joining me again on this episode is my co-host, managing editor Joe Stank. Joe? Hey. Yeah. And we are sitting in the living room of Tom Jacobs of Antidote here in, what town are we in, Tom? It's called Kortenaken.
1: Kortenaken. Yeah, it's just the east of Flemish Brabant.
0: It's a beautiful home with a brewery right here on site and orchards, grapevines, trees, fruit trees, goats, sheep. Um, a very natural setting where you are producing, even on your own property, a lot of the ingredients that you're pushing yeah. into your own own beer. Brewing beer with a, a very uh, connected to the earth approach, yeah. doing it with... Um, yeah, alternate ways, maybe not use, not using hops as much as some other brewers might, uh, focusing on using herbs, brewing deeply with herbs, and then uh, building beers that come from the ingredients that you grow yourself. We're going to talk about how you do that, how you formulate ideas, what that creative process looks like. We're going to go deep into your philosophy <laughs> philosophy on brewing because you have a philosophy background on that um but we're also going to talk about constructing flavor out of ingredients in a different kind of way get a different typical approach than uh you know than, than brewers might otherwise do uh, before we do that for nearly 30 years gnd chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on gnd stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free GD also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design Experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, support for this episode comes from BSG. Did you know that BSG sources hops directly from growers and processes them in their FSSC certified facility? In the Yakima Valley, from Azaka to Zappa, BSG's hops are pelletized for optimal dispersion in the boiler or FV and packaged in nitrogen flushed bags to preserve all of those tasty and enticing aromatics. To learn more about how your hops go from farmer to fermenter, get in touch with BSG at Hops at bsgcraft.com. So Tom, let's start this off the way we normally do, talking about your history, background yeah. in beer. What uh, what path you took
1: to get here and launching your own brewery here yeah. uh, at your home? Uh, I think it's now 12 years ago. Uh, me and my wife, we were living in Leuven, which is uh, like a small student city, like 30 minutes from here. Uh, but we were looking for, uh, for a place to live. Uh, to buy a house, and we, we, want, we were a bit, like, tired of, say, city life and the type of consumption that comes with it. Um, so, say, the supermarket life. and uh, So we were looking for a place with a bit of, uh, of space where we could just grow our vegetables on, keep some animals. Uh, so it was a, an idea of more self-subsistent uh, uh, life. Uh, and then we f- we came right here just like totally the east of Flemish Brabant, which is a really like still rural area with a lot of uh, fruit growing. Uh, and we found this like old house and we said like, this is perfect for, for what we want to do. We we still didn't have any plans about brewing, but I came pretty quickly after when we were installed here. Uh, just you know, I used to drink beer, but just not as a beer geek. I was just... Uh, I think mostly drinking uh, Orval. I think that was my my main to-go beer. And something like the Black Label Girardin beer. That was standard. And just me and my brother said, okay, let's try to, to make some beer. Uh, I think home brewing wasn't really popular back then, but we just found some information, small cattle, and that's how we started. But then in the beginning, like, we started actually with doing, in Belgium, Everyone's still drinking triples. So I think that was the first beer uh but after a while we started adding orval dregs to the beer and then all the beers they after a while they tasted a bit the same (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting but we wanted also to get to have some 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 acidity in the beer uh and i think one of the defining moments in in what we wanted to do that was we went to a festival in holland the Mola Festival was one of the um, bit more the bigger international festivals that started happening, and we tasted some of the beers of Jester King, and we were a big lovers of of say the Belgian say farmhouse beers. But after a while, a lot of these beers they're too they're too triple like let's say they're too astry, like uh, like saison du Pont. It it gets heavy. It's too much banana. And, and it, so it lacked a bit, the acidity that we were looking for. So we wanted to do, like, ideally we had something in our mind, like, so between Lambic and those farmhouse. And that was just what we discovered, like, American Brew started doing, like Jessica King. And that triggered us, so sure, we wanted sure. to get more American, acidity yeah. in it uh, without being too acidic. Right. So be, because some of the 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 classical Lambics back then were for us too acidic, like many of the Hansen beers. Uh, and then we found this in between, these possibilities. We we, we had a, sometimes we bought, we used to buy uh, two old Blodgie. Bier Beast, which is just too old. And it was just like, <laughs> it was just in the shop for like one euro as a bottle because it's out of date. And that had that just, that acidity. It's probably an infection, but <laughs> it, it, that's not yeah. important. Right. That's not the point. They didn't have the plan to have it, have that acidity, but if you would leave it a few years in a bottle, it would get there. Uh, and then we decided, like, if we want that, we need to have some barrels. Uh, and then we started with just newly, because we just had a small installation, so we couldn't deal with big barrels. So we started buying new, new small barrels, 30 liter, 50 liter. But then it was too oaky. Uh, and so it needed a lot of time, and then even afterwards, it was still too oaky. So we decided, like, we have to get like used wine barrels if we want just to make our beer like we want to have it. Uh, and then actually, uh, it started getting out of hand.
0: Uh, <laughs> right, if you're brewing enough beer to fill up uh, yeah. wine barrels, yeah. we you had can't a drink system. that much beer, can uh, you?
1: No, but but we had a system that we had. Uh, we started with 25 liters system and we went to 50 liter but then we had a 100 liter cattle and then we could brew let's say 75 liters so we would need to brew three times to fill a barrel but then we started developing a kind of solar system like every nine months we would get 75 liters out of a barrel and divide it over different demijohns with different fruits to experiment with but then we could just with one brew session we could fill the barrel again and we just could keep it going and but after a while we 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 started filling too many barrels, and we also started filling some barrels with cider, and then we had to decide what, what to do with it because it's it's too much to, to to drink it all ourselves or to keep it going like that. And then we decided about five six years ago, like no, we want to take it to another level, and uh,
0: and so you just because you were homebrewing so much, yeah. it just
1: became a a business then. Yes, uh, yeah, it's still because when you're here. It's still homebrewing. It still is homebrewing. You're right. (laughs) uh, We're in your home and the brewery is right there. Yeah. And it's still, it's the same. Just the system is 10 times bigger. Yeah. But it's all the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, As you decided to then become, you know, take a more, well, I shouldn't even call it a business approach because this is still very much a you know, creative driven process and the beers that you make are still driven, not just, Hey, how much can we sell? But, uh, you know, but driven out of that kind of creative vision. How did, when you decided to then become a business, how did that change your approach or what did you then decide to add Mm.
1: to your approach to brewing? I, I don't think it's changed that much because I think I agreed from the beginning with my brother, uh so we say we started the operation together uh as a two-person say uh, business but my brother still has a full-time job as a doctor right. in the hospital so that he would would assist like one day a week i would do all the rest uh of the stuff but we agreed from the beginning that that we would only do things uh that we would also do as own as a non-professional home brewer so only, we would only let us guide by the, the, the principles of our, of our own taste or what we want to do and keep all the freedom. So from the beginning, we decided to stay small. That's very crucial because otherwise we cannot do it all ourselves right. anymore. Uh, you have to more look into like like how the market works. And we, we, decide, we hope that it will work, that if we would stay small enough, we would not need to care about the market at all. That we, we just hope like, okay, this is what we do. Let's hope we find a market for this. <laughs> and it might work when we stay small enough. Yeah. That was the the idea. Yeah. And I'm very happy that till now we can just stick to that philosophy.
0: Yeah. So now uh, 100% of your beer is spontaneously fermented, cool shipped. Yep. Well, not not necessarily spontaneously yeah, we'll, fermented. We'll but discuss. Maybe it's definitely cool shipped. We, yeah um you know were were your homebrew beers also all cool shipped before that too or is uh, that
1: i can show you some pictures <laughs> of uh, how we did it <laughs> uh no it it went in in different phases yeah. of course yeah. uh i say i already told you about adding your Valdrags. uh we tried many different uh, approaches uh yeah. but let's say the years before we started with the brewery uh we we focused on capturing wild yeasts and there are different ways to capture it. Say right. cool shipping is one way uh, to do it. So we we had a like a small, we put a 25 liter cattle outside at different places in the vineyard. Uh, we also, we put also the vine cuttings we would lay over uh, the small cattle. Uh, but actually we had the best uh, methods when we just would... Uh, we made different like small wort wart samples uh, yeah. where we would select different uh, elements from the garden to put into, put into and then the, see yeah. how we can grow some cultures out of that. Um, so we had some good results with with some of the uh, har- bring, bring the flowers har- and fruits into your wort uh, yeah, samples yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than yeah, taking yeah. your wort out to the garden. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then we. I think at the moment we started, we had two different, two or three different uh, wild captures, but it all—we we, we do not have a laboratory. Uh, we never. I'm ran. shocked. Yeah, <laughs> and it was too difficult to keep them separate uh, because you have to keep feeding it, and you. So it morphed actually all into one house culture um, that we somehow still use, but it's it's of course not the same version because it goes through all the transformations. Uh, he goes through all the cool shipping. Uh, mm. And is, if we want to get it going, we always uh, activate some yeast also at bottling stage because we want a quick re-fermentation when we bottle it. So my that's my broadest uh, tasks. Uh, so he will uh, use some of the most recent uh, fermentation and then add some uh, some wort to it, fresh wort, to, uh, to activate it. Uh, for a few days, and then we'll use that as a starter uh, when we bottle.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that. That is
1: pretty consistent. Yeah. I
0: want to talk more about that process. Yeah. I also want to, you know, I want you. Definitely don't call what you do lambic you, you yeah. know, uh, for, for obvious reasons, because, um, but also some philosophical ones. I want to talk about that too. But first, are you looking for innovation in your next beverage breakthrough? Think outside the puree box and let your brand stand out with Old Orchard's craft Concentrate Blends. Even smoothie seltzers can benefit from the extra boost of flavor and color. Old Orchard is based in the greater Grand Rapids, Michigan area, also known as Beer City, USA and supplies craft beverage categories ranging from beer, wine, and cider to seltzer, spirits, and kombucha. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation is the first real-time comprehensive fermentation monitoring solution. It works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real-time from any smartphone, tablet, or Brew Monitor provides detailed insight into your fermentations that helps improve beer consistency, reduce tank time, and increase overall efficiency, saving your brewery time and money. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com slash brewing. So, Tom, you brew spontaneously, but you also, at times... Mm -hmm use your your culture that yeah, you've developed yeah. and and integrate that into the the yeah, fermentation yeah. in specific ways sometimes not um you know you uh you, again you definitely don't call it lambic and yeah. uh, you're not in the land. you're over here on the yeah. the uh, east side of yeah. uh, of belgium and so you know that certainly would create some Arguments among uh, diehards in that film, um, you know, but there, but it's I think bigger than that for you, isn't it? For
1: the reason you wouldn't tie it into that definition. Yeah, I think if if you look at the process, it's 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 pretty similar. Let's say nine out of ten times, we also brew, uh, say, or blonde beer, uh, which is in in process and in malt composition is very similar to, to lambic. Also, the use of h h hops. Uh, in the beginning of the boil, um, the, the cool shipping, but for us the main, we had some discussions about it in the in the beginning, just before we started. Like, is this is this lambic? Do we want to call it lambic? And the the main idea is like, like we didn't care too much about the legal issues, uh, but the main concept was like, we want to keep our freedom not just in the way we produce it, but also in the way we think about our products and the way we want other people to think about it. Because we, we see always it's very hard for everyone actually to 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 appreciate things without a concept. But just to, to say with an open view or an open mind, just to approach things. Um, but if you directly give people a concept, they will just have the question in their head like is this lambic or is this not lambic but that's not the for us the interesting question the, the question is like, do you like to drink this even if you don't know what it is or what it sh- should be it, it's not that it should be something it only should be good but it's not it should not be like conform to some principles that you already have in your head uh, that's the same if, if people say do uh, say wine tasting like if you say like this is Pinot Noir and they will say like no no this doesn't taste like Pinot Noir okay but it's not such an interesting question of course uh, if it conforms to, to to all that concept and that that for us is it's really important uh, it I think it works also that's why we we never use any style categories it's not only not that we not the lambic but even not. I will sometimes say like saison or farmhouse and so, but we even don't use those style categories, not at yeah. all. Uh, don't like on our labels, we describe the process, and then we hope that people will think themselves about it. Like, okay, this is how we did it, and I think that works for us. It works because it's like we 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 have never anything on keg, like for example, we never end up with our beer, in, say in a craft beer bar. Where people have to choose between 30 beers on CAC, and then you need like, okay, uh, that's uh that's a double IPA, that's a porter, then you need some kind of style category. Our say our, our hope or ambition was that people would be able to recognize that beer as antidote. So even if we do we come out with, say, twenty five different beers in a year, that somehow through all those beers, you would say, oh, okay. This is with herbs, or this is with fruit, but I get the antidote profile.
2: I think it would be really interesting to hear you describe for us what that is. What is what is an antidote-style beer? And then I have maybe as a kind of question that could be part of that. Um, uh, you have interesting views on Britannomyces, unexpected, I would think, um, based on the wild captures and the spontaneous side of it. And, and uh, I think it would be interesting to hear about that too and how, how that presence or absence also is part of the profile. It's,
1: it's, uh, it's, it's not that I can directly like describe the profile, but it's always like, for me, it's like my, my wife, she's not directly involved in the process, but she's involved, let's say, in the tasting. And I often let her taste like blindly samples. Also, when I open other bottles from other people, uh, I always let her taste blindly. And, and she's mostly like, she's like, okay, this is an antidote. And I hear also from from, from a lot of our members, this like, yeah, it has its typical antidote profile. Yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. It's probably, it's closely connected to the water profile, I guess, because it's still the, the main ingredient. Uh, I think we're pretty high in natrium. Uh, we also have quite some of the other minerals in the water. Uh, it's, it's groundwater from, from here in the area, uh, from pretty deep then there's probably we we always aiming so there's this mineral site connected to the water but that's say that's a given somehow um what we're after always is to make i wouldn't call them sour beers uh, it's it's a category i don't like so much because it's too one dimensional if you call a beer sour it's not about being sour but we we always aiming for some acidity we want beers to have a good a good acidity, so it's, it's always like a specific kind of acidity that that we're after. Uh, like like we don't like the quick acidification through lactobacillus. Uh, it gives a more one dimensional acidity to beer, like the more let's say Berliner Weisse or the lemonade kind of acidity. We uh, prefer a long, slow acidification. It's probably through pediococcus and. And we want to avoid acetic acid at all costs. Uh it's the same with, with wines. I really hate high volatile acidity. Um the acetone flavors uh or sharp acidic aftertaste. Like we, we would try to avoid that at all. So if we if we notice some of that, we'll destroy the batch, we'll destroy the barrel, uh we don't mind blending it in. We don't want to ruin any other stuff with it. Um, <laughs> sure, So sure. for us, it's very strict to, oh, it. it's, it's important. Uh, right. That's, that's about the acidity. So we want to have it, a good acidity, but it has to be very drinkable. Right. So we're always looking for drinkability. That, that's yeah. actually a main issue.
0: Uh, calling beer sour is like calling a dish at a restaurant salt uh, you know, a salty dish yeah, yeah. because every restaurant, act, you know, yeah. uses incredible amounts of salt. It's one yeah. component. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Of the it's flavor, one component, and but it shouldn't define
1: the entire no, thing. No, it should. should it, it should be totally in the balance uh, with the other uh, things. Uh, you need the acidity just to make it drinkable. Yeah, but if it's too high, it's not drinkable anymore.
0: Yeah. When it comes to that acidity, uh, um, you have a also you embrace bitterness with that in a way that a lot of brewers, a lot of other brewers that brew acid forward beers, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe aren't as uh, fond of. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't doesn't bother you. You uh, you are uh, comfortable and in your wheelhouse blending acidity and bitterness. Talk yeah, to me yeah. a little bit
1: about that. Yeah, the general idea is a bit in the beer world that it clashes. Uh, And I've never understood it that much. Maybe, of course, it's the same with acidity. We have to talk about different kinds of acidity. There are also different kinds of bitterness. Um, And we found mostly, because we never use hops as so much for the bitterness. Of course, we have some hops that we use early in the boil that will also contribute to the bitterness. But the more, say for bitterness that we have sometimes comes from the herbs, uh, which is, I don't see it clashing, but it's just like, it it, it gives them a long finish. So the bitterness mostly comes at the end when you swallow, and the acidity you have more directly, like more up front or in the mid. I, so I don't really see, see that clash. Um, it just, you know, it provides some structure to the beer. Yeah. It provides some some more depth and roundness when you when you have that. So I think somehow it needs that. Right, right. <laughs> you also have it is like in some lambics, like some 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 Girda. It's there's also just like bitterness,
0: uh, and it works well. You know, I think we were talking before we started the podcast uh, that uh, you know there's almost that cocktail uh, element to yeah, it that. Uh. Uh, um, you know, and. The, you can find your most popular drinks in Italy, for example, yeah. that combine those yeah. bitter flavors yeah, sure. with sweeter fruit flavors. And you see the same thing happening in, you know, with the cultures, spontaneous cultures that develop these fruity flavors, these brettanomiasis-driven, you know, you know, flavors that are very fruit forward. And that bitterness, you know, it, it it's not conceptually at odds with, uh, you know, balancing with those kinds of prominent
1: citrus flavors. Yeah. It's maybe as as a kid I grew up just in Belgium. You know we have uh, Belgian endives, which right. is a typical bitter. It was one of my favorite or, uh, uh, vegetables. Uh, and also I remember as a kid, the, I was never into say Coke or Sprite, which is just way too sweet. I would only drink bitter lemon. I don't know if you if if that's known in the United States. Bitter lemon, no. It's uh, it has a very bitter lemonade for kids Mm. it's like tonic so it always it also contains canina right um but as a kid i remember i would always go for that so that 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 grapefruit kind of sour bitterness thing and i think just it now goes also i tried to do that with the beers yeah yeah. You mentioned a second ago that using
0: taking an herbal approach to bitterness yeah. can maybe time shift that experience of of bitterness, you know, as people drink a beer. Yeah. Um talk to me a little bit about you know some of the herbs that you use specifically for for that kind of approach to bittering and uh, you know, how you might describe some of the bitterness that, that they they create or or even the textural sensation of bitterness or the time sensation of of when you tend to taste it. I'm curious about that because that's an interesting way to to think beyond, the, you know, in a multidimensional way about
1: about bitterness itself. I'll try to describe but it's always very difficult. Sure, sure. Uh, and the, as I say uh, that, we
0: were nibbling on some wormwood yeah, uh, yeah. earlier, yeah. and it's still lingering in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. And so I still have this, uh, you know, this feeling of bitterness, this lingering yeah. taste yeah. of bitterness yeah. uh, with me.
1: Yeah, I will maybe sh- say something shortly about, say, the, the, the two main herbs that we that we use uh, for bittering. Uh, and there are two herbs that were very popular in the European uh, 19th century tradition of, of liquors. Uh, I think it's, it's probably somehow in the time of Groot, a lot of these herbs were used, and then hops took over. But that whole tradition, or that diversity Still lived on in the whole distilling tradition and all the, the, the gins, um, and then the, the Amaros, uh, also in France, um, gentian, uh, in in you still find it a lot in France, these these aperitifs made on the basis of gentian, like Suze. Um, it's like the old people drink it uh, mostly, <laughs> sure, so sure. it's but it's it's somehow. Coming back, all, all the amaros, uh, also in cocktails, uh, they're pretty popular. But gentian is a root that is used mainly so in France and in Italy. It grows mostly pretty high in the Alps, but also in Auvergne, in Jura, in France, uh, you find it. it's a It's an, a, a big fl- yellow flower. So there are different types of gentian, but the gentian that's used in beverages is the Gentiana lutea, so with the yellow flowers and they use the root. The root, it's, it's a plant that grows pretty old, like 30, 40 years. They dig up the roots in the wild and uh, they dry it and then they they use it in, in the distillations. But people always used to also do their own uh, infusions. So they would infuse it on alcohol or with white wine. Right. There are a lot of, uh, say, bitter upper chiefs also on the base of white, like, like vermouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would... Just make it themselves and infuses. So we, we started doing some experiments and I was really pleased with, it, uh, with the results. It often works well in, uh, together with oranges. So to have this citrus element with it, uh, you already have some bitterness then of the, of the rind. Um, but mostly is always used also in combination with a lot of other herbs. Uh, but the gentian, just as, as the wormwood also, it has a distinct aroma too. It's so it's not mm. just the it's not just the bitterness. Uh, with ginger, it's the bitterness. Is, it's a rude bitterness, and uh, so it mostly w- we use it in the cool ship, Uh, because you have the most easy and the best extraction. Uh, there on the warm side. Yeah. Uh, it's also you don't need too much of it because it's it's can be pretty pungent, but it gives a very long aftertaste. Uh, but this more like it's not really maybe it's a bit tannic. Uh, but it's this woody, long aftertaste that you have, uh, together with with a distinct aroma. Uh, it colors also a bit. Um, hmm. Then the warm wood is that's the other that we just tried. Yeah. That we grow in the garden. Uh, the gentian is it's it's not possible to grow here. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, we it have has to, to
0: grow up high in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we have to get there to France uh, to dig it. But the warm wood we can grow here in you the garden. You just go- have to go down to France and go dig it up yourself. Yep. yep. You do that, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that sounds pretty
1: fun. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's totally illegal, but we'll no, no one's gonna know. That's, it's our little secret, and everybody listening. No, there. but have, the problem is like the multinationals—they get permits to harvest many tons in the wild. So I think if they get the permit, I can just take one tiny one. Yeah. <laughs> but the wormwood—that's the the other very popular herb. Um, in say the 19th century, is the most famous drink of 19th century France was of course absinthe. Sure, absinthe was made with wormwood. But the problem is, if people drink absinthe now, it doesn't taste like wormwood. It tastes like anise. So, uh, I think early 20th century there were, it was mostly forbidden, uh, the absinthe because there were a lot of issues with it uh, psychoactive but it's mostly because of the high alcohol it's like 70% alcohol mm. and then they made an anise alternative the, the Ricard uh, w- which has a very distinct say aroma like the fennel anise uh, aroma but Wormwood doesn't have that um, it it's it's much more bitter like anise is not really bitter but the Wormwood is extremely bitter yeah but it has also a distinct aroma it's uh it's it's not so easy to describe this that there is some like these minty elements but there's also a kind of citrus like element uh to the aroma and a very long lasting uh bitterness uh and we use that on the cold side in the beers sometimes in combination with citrus fruits uh we've tried different ways uh or different amounts mostly infuse it in the barrel so with a we have a kind of stainless uh pipe with holes in it mm. so i can fill that with old flowers so the dried flowers we added in the barrel for uh, uh for more over a month normally mm. um, we've also done it so i've told you we we brew normally our blonde beer but say one time a year we make some kind of old brun in the same way, actually, as we produce it, also with with, with raw wheat, uh, but with then caramelized malts, and so we've also used that as a basis for um, say herbal infusion, uh, which comes closer to some of some of the Italian amaros. If you look at the color, like Cinar is a very famous one. Um, yeah, it's it's it looks like an old brown somehow. Mm. So, but of course, the amaros they're also very sweet. But in our old brown, we left like this. This hint of sweetness because of the, the caramelized malts. Uh, we noticed it's a beer that wasn't most beer lovers didn't like that at all. No, <laughs> uh, but but most people were just more coming from a wine perspective, or just used to drink more, uh, say the the amaros and the liquors. They were very pleased with it, uh, and personally, we we liked it a lot too. So we were making it, making it again.
2: Yeah. Do you want to talk about the Mirica also? I, I think yeah, it's sure. It's such a lovely profile, and I also yeah. I also enjoy how these. Um, I mean, normally I tend to avoid urban spice beers, yeah. but they're often in the wrong, in the wrong house. You know what I mean? They're in the yeah. wrong style. Yeah. Uh, but then sometimes if you when you bring in the acidity, it yeah. somehow makes them all click and make sense. And yeah, it's like, just like you're talking about a Negroni or, or a cocktail yeah. and sort of similar profile, and yeah. This yeah. somehow makes sense in the brain. Uh, the senses work it out better, and I don't know. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Uh, Also, while home brewing,
1: we know in the beginning we were very hesitant also because I didn't like herbal beers. I didn't like it at all because I just, I would always miss the hops until we just, it was just like one, one morning I I wanted to brew just by myself and I decided like, because we were already all doing sour, or like more acidic beers. and, And I just wanted to see what I could find in the garden, use with it. Uh, it was a very strange brew because it started uh there was a thunderstorm and i had to to stop the brew and then i started again and it so it ended up very high in abv Uh, so it had some residual sugars but it was also a bit acidic and then it had the herbs and i thought like everyone will will think it's disgusting but somehow some everyone was very intrigued by it including a we, saw, uh, we were surprised, like, w- with some of the outcome. And then we noticed, like, if you use herbs, you need some acidity. It's a totally different thing together. Uh, it makes it more drinkable. It's, let's say in more acidic beers, you don't need to hop so much. Uh, and then you can play both with the aroma. It's interesting to have an aroma, a distinct aroma, uh, but also with the bitterness. It's The experience with the bitterness came later because it's more easy just... To, to have your, say, your base acidic beer, and then add some different aromas. If you really start using it in the boil with, for bitterness, say you alter somehow also, say, the backbone, the, the whole structure of the beer. Uh, and those experiments came, came later. And I, I prefer those now, just in the beginning we used mostly a lot of different herbs together, which was typical also in the grew tradition. Uh, that was a mixture of different herbs. But now I just want to purify it a bit more. Um, so now we just we just bought last week uh, a beer with only Merica Gale as an addition. So we steeped it in a cool ship. Uh, we've made a beer before with Merica Gale and a, a lot of other herbs together with it. Uh, I, I will look for a bottle if I still have one. We can we can try that. But now it's 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 something that's more interesting just to have just. Uh, it's also a bit of a general approach it's always the more simple, the better. And so we're, we're, we're looking for just keeping things simple. Also on a, like in a, on a process. Uh, so on the technical side, you'll see right. e- everything in the brew house is very simple. It just, uh, flexible hoses and it's
2: just, uh, I think that there's a simplicity, a relative simplicity, or yeah. a, a surprising elegance in the, in the fermentation profile and the aroma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because uh, when we were talking about wild captures for, yeah. an, for an article in the February-March issue of Craft yeah. Beer and Brewing Magazine. Um, it, Out it, now it, to subscribers. Uh, read
0: Joe's uh, uh, long feature on farmhouse brewing that includes uh, uh, plenty of information, photos and, and whatnot of Tom and Antidote.
2: And Kemker, and uh, Germany, and, and, also and I, can I, I, I can tie it in Norway, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, But you were talking about the wild captures for yeast. Yeah. You were looking for Saccharomyces. Not, not for bread yes, yeah, yeah, that's true and so uh, if you could maybe talk about why because I think a lot of people would assume, oh it's a it's a mixed firm brewery, it's a wild brewery it's gonna be bread beers no uh,
1: yeah, I've told you before and I'm I'm not such a big fan actually of Bretton my cheese uh, it's it it's all of course, it all depends on the city overall picture and it has its place somehow um but with the wild captures and the wild fermentation, what well, matters mostly for us is the saccharomyces, And we, we, we learned that with doing all the experiments with the, with the wild captures. Mostly before, say, in the, in the brewing world, a wild beer is sometimes you buy a, a saccharomyces strain and then you add, a, a say, a commercial bread strain to it that eats all the residual sugars. And because it's a commercial saccharomyces strain, you still have quite some sugars left and there's still plenty of work for the bread to work on. And so there's too much bread profile. Because there were too many sugars. Personally, I think... I don't know all the str- bread strains on the market. But in general, they're too stinky for me. And it's too heavy. And you lose all delicacy and balance with in that approach. Uh so we were just seeing what we would get with the wild captures, and we noticed there it's very defining what kind of saccharomyces does the work. So mostly in the wild fermentation, saccharomyces do, doesn't get the love I think it deserves because there's so many different strains, and you have so many different. The base character that's already that's defined by the saccharomyces strain. Uh, mostly, if you do wild captures, you, you won't you won't find any bread. There's no. The most studies that I've seen, I don't. Maybe th- there are different studies now, but they don't find any Brettanomyces in there. Mostly, the Brettanomyces comes through the wood, it comes from the barrels. Uh, it lives in the wood, um, or it's it's it might be there in so small quantities that you cannot trace it in the beginning. It only comes up front when all the work by Saccharomyces is done. Uh, so I think the main character uh, that we have in our beers is. Is the wild saccharomyces together with the bacteria? Then after a while, and you're leaning towards sacri- wild
0: saccharomyces yes. that is a higher attenuator that is gonna yeah, yeah. dry those out before oh, the bread. We have into to do
1: all tricks to just to slow it down. Uh, I, I explained to you a bit with the with the the different ways we do the turbid mashing, uh, but we we can just totally skip uh, the beta amylase. We can just go straight to 74 degrees and it will still. Go easily through it. So uh, say the the general science doesn't apply. I think for uh, <laughs> for a wild sacromachi's because it's it's pretty powerful. Yeah, but it's also I don't want to have too many sugars left at bottling stage. Of course, there will be an impact say after a few or after some time in the bottle of bretonomachi's, but I don't want to have that too strong. And is it in the beginning? I because we've, we've been discussing already, say, say the cocktail tradition. But the natural wine tradition is another of our big inspirations for what we do. And in the beginning, I would visit winemakers and I would tease them about my cheese Like, I have my cheese on my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And they're always, like, in the wine world, they hate my right. cheese And so I thought, like, it's just naive and stupid of them to hate or to be so negative about my cheese But then uh, a few years later... I. I think I agree with the winemakers. Because if you want to make natural wine, I think in a good way, in the beginning, you're just looking for the funky stuff. I remember the first bottle, I, and I was intrigued. I was not a wine drinker. I was intrigued because I said, like, this smells like Cantillon. And that was just the total eye-opener. I started drinking wine because I, it it smelled like Cantillon. If I drink natural wine now, I don't want it to smell like Cantillon. Right. Because it's all. It's a kind of funkiness and and often with a lot of mistakes that has nothing to do with say the terroir, with where it was grown, has nothing to do with grape varieties. You somehow, if it's say too bacterial or too bratty, you lose the typicity. And so you lose the the diversity of the whole sea. Then it'll taste the it all tastes the same. All tastes the same wherever it's made. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about that. But first, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brew House to the integrated hotbacks on Sierra Nevada's Twin Prototyping Brewhouses, SS BrewTech has taken technology they invented, working with world-renowned industry veterans, and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS BrewTech's innovation list head over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, if you're looking for a direct partnership with an independent hop grower who is as fanatical about flavor and quality as you are, join the revolution. Hop Revolution's only reason for being is sustainably farming and processing New Zealand's most flavorsome hops. They get that great beer is not brewed to a past or a future ideal. It's an ongoing journey of fresh thinking. Hop Revolution really is only here for your beer. Let them flavor your thinking stateside directly from Hop Revolution or through Crosby Hops or Mill 95. Learn more at hoprevolution.co.nz ongoing journey of fresh thinking. I think it makes sense to t- talk about beer, not brewed brood to past or future ideals. What a, uh, on <laughs> point message right there. Um, because that's exactly what you do. And of course we took a, a second right there as we were reading to pour a beer. Uh, you know, what is this beer that we're drinking
1: now, Tom? It's called Nacht von der Geit, And, uh, we brewed it with some some friends uh and we all started started a bit around the same period so uh kemker uh, was there and uh, guys from naval in holland uh, and then a guy from sweden Bready fingers i talked to you about the matches and the fingers so he called his brewery bready fingers <laughs> and uh and then a guy from uh from california altbrow tim decker and uh it was after the Carnival Cheese festival uh, in Holland. for us a very important festival because Do they let
0: you go. I mean you're not really a Brett fan
1: yeah, but it was for us it was always wonderful uh, because there was a community of people all over the world that came together one time a year uh, and many of them were also just starting and it, it's, it's a, it was a new way of learning also because I think we didn't learn so much from the Belgian Brewers. I never did any internship at any brewery. I never brewed at any other place than our own place. But we learned from, say, other people in the same situation. We're just doing experiments, uh, and we found each other to to fora on the internet, like Milk the Funk, which is a very important sure sure for, um for those kind of questions. And it was wonderful to meet every year in Amsterdam and and. Now, after
2: COVID, now it's uh, finally happening again on, on a smaller scale this year. It's one of my favorite festivals. It's, yeah. it's uh, just to kind of describe it for people. Imagine being in Amsterdam for a few days and your plan is going to a bunch of seminars yeah, yeah. where you'll get to drink some beer for sure. Yeah. But it's uh, so brewers come. It's not only brewers. It's sometimes it's experts in a particular field yeah, yeah. or something. And then they'll give a talk. You taste some beer. Uh-huh course later everyone goes out for a beer and, yeah. and but it's it's a really cool atmosphere yeah, yeah. and feeling and community feeling and yeah you meet some like-minded yeah, folks yeah.
1: That's, that's actually the, the most important part just hanging out with some some, some friends uh but it's the the cool thing is like it's not a beer festival in the sense that you have a big hall and everyone is just pouring right. pouring right. their stuff no everyone's telling stories somehow uh somewhere say more academic experts, but a lot of just experience. Uh, you have different kind of tastings, uh, food pairings. Uh, very anarchic, spread out over the city. Uh, and then after we 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 decided to get together. So uh, Sunday, everyone just the brewers they came to our place, and then I think Monday we brewed the beer together. Uh, It was summer. It was the only beer that we've released uh, not brewed in the cold season. Uh, So we made for the cool ship, we made a kind of copper coil with uh, cold water running through. Right. So that we would get a quicker uh, cooling. And uh, then the next morning we transferred it to the barrels. Uh, It was the only beer that didn't acidify or didn't really acidify on its own surprisingly. Hmm. That's, that's very surprising because we thought like we do this summer you will have a lot right, of a right. lot of bacteria it will have like going sour pretty quickly. It didn't sour at may, all. Maybe because the mirica like the mirica was the main ingredient that we used in the cool ship. It's it's known to be antibacterial. Uh so it did inhib- it it did its job actually. Uh but as for that beer, we blended in one other barrel that was a bit higher in acidity because we thought, like these herbs, it's so herbal in profile that we need some acidity to counter it, to 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 make it more drinkable. And
0: uh. how often does that happen to you? I, you know, I, obviously, you, you work in a way that um, there are some things, especially if you are adding herbs hot yeah. side into the cool ship, yeah. um, where once that happens that's locked in Yeah, you know you then the only way to solve or rebalance is blending Mm -hmm. at the the far end versus cold side herb additions where you can add taste add you know leave longer or add more you know and kind of adjust and season as you go um you know and so you know but Certainly there are some things that work better hot side versus cold side. And so you want to do that. Talk to me a little bit about how your your process works in that regard, understanding these things and then um, keep continuing to adjust to make sure because it's not just we get what we get. It is very much a process for you where you are going for a a flavor and want to balance all of those pieces so that they become a very drinkable beer at the end.
1: Uh, it's it's often very much uh, intuition based um, we can adjust it uh, we've changed also f- uh, the process for some herbs or for some some ingredients like for example if if you if we use oranges we now always do it at the end uh, we never do it anymore before we used to do it in the cool ship but I think you have a much better expression uh, if you have that at the end mm. uh, so we changed that and um, but I think the benefit is that we it's always very small scale uh releases that we do, so it's always one barrel, two barrels or three barrels <laughs> sure <laughs> that's sure. it We have one exception we have one exception that's uh say or or base beer, so just that's mostly a blend of of four barrels the that's this one the that's the whoop whoop uh but normally it's one two. To make some three barrels, your
0: biggest release
1: is yeah, four wine barrels yep. worth
0: of beer. Yep, that's the biggest.
1: Uh, but that makes yeah, we, we're we're pretty flexible. We don't have to decide. Sometimes we we release a beer from one brew session. Like we have a beer where we infused the the prunings of the blackcurrant shrubs that we have. So in winter, if you cut cut the wood off, we know this is very aromatic. It smells like blackcurrant, the wood. And I start reading some, some things about it in Russia. They have a tradition to use it for teas. Uh, so we first did it as a home in a home brew, and uh, we did it in the first year, and uh, we've we've been doing it afterward. We've been pre-boiling the mash water uh, with the wood, huh? And then getting all the in the morning, we get all the wood out. So like you. You make a tea, and with that tea, you brew.
2: It's a bit like doing with spruce <coughs> tips or spruce. Wood yeah, or yeah. You like I can that.
1: imagine in the in that tradition, it also happens somehow. But you could, we did it with the, with the black currant. Of course, then you make a beer. It's actually it's it's meant to re- be released as such because it's it's really in the structure right. of, of the beer. With some other elements, we can we can still be flexible at the end. So it's mostly always. We decide at the end what we do with it. Uh, what does it extra need, um, and then we're very flexible because there is some,
0: especially because you're only generally brewing in the through the winter season. that's yeah, right. When yeah, it's yeah. cold enough, that yeah. there's also that we've got to brew and we can and put that yeah. beer back. Yeah. And uh, you know, for a brewery this size, that's also a bit of a challenge because even being able to find that kind of place for the beer. You you know, you mentioned earlier while we were talking that it's a, a a very delicate dance for you. You have a small space and you have a limited time in order to make beer and a limited space in which to age beer and that space that you age beer is also a space where you package beer and where you store finished beer for people to pick up. And so it becomes a very, uh, you know, a small orchestrated piece there.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We brew say, between November and April. We hope to finish now in March, uh, but we need enough cold days. It's also a bit with with climate change. It's sometimes more difficult. It's not that you have, like, three months that you can always brew. So we couldn't brew for two weeks, and now we're brewing again at the end of the week. But it's always... we, we that's Luckily, we have, like, two stainless buffer tanks that we can use because we, we don't always have free barrels. Uh, so now I have to label so we can have free space in the bottle conditioning room then we can bottle and then we can fill barrels again so it's always a bit like that and um, then we also have to make sure that the releases are in the right time of the year that we because the beer has to move somehow mostly we I think we bottle we try to bottle condition I think around five months but for some beers is longer for some is a bit shorter because it we release normally with six different beers uh, together. So people have a box, uh, but that's always a bit of planning. At the same time, I'm very happy that we can work that way. Um, because it's, it's, that's for me the whole concept of saison. It's a, it's, it's seasonal. and um, So our, our work in the brewery is seasonal work. That means like, I'm not always a brewer. I, d- I do other things. But they're connected to the brewery. That means in March I have to make sure I'm 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 as good as ready in the brewery in March because then I have to work outside. I have to get the vineyard ready. Uh, we have to plow. We have to. The pruning is in March. Um, but that's a lot of work to get everything uh, in a good shape for a new growing season. Uh, then then May is. Is mostly the month where you have all the festivals and activities <laughs> and and so on and june also a bit but also at the same time in the vineyard um you have to keep things under control they start growing very quickly then i have to go through the rows and uh and then sometimes uh, some fruits already start like rhubarb uh we used uh, some years quite some rhubarb to to, to blend in uh, with things and then we go to cherry season uh, so the sour cherry mostly the end of june early july we start the 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 fruit season here with, with picking all those um and so in summer summer months more we do we make the fruit blends uh, uh beginning of september is mostly the the grape season uh, so the the harvest of the grapes uh this year was was a bit later but then it fell together with the apple season so October, November is all apple season. So uh, we, we pick all the apples ourselves, uh, we try to store them for a few weeks and then we have different pressing sessions. So but we, we're busy with that for two months. And then when all the cider is in the barrels, then we can start brewing again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very fun because because you really live with the seasons that way. Right, right. And that also it really it leads to a different approach also to beer. Because beer is less than kind of industrial product made somewhere in, a, in a, uh, say, uh in a say uh in a warehouse somewhere it's all connected to the whole say flow of the seasons uh this ties back into the conversation we had with verna
0: from uh three fontanen where he was saying the same thing brewing was the winter work of yeah. the farm right. and that is very much expressed right here, where brewing is your winter work and farming is your summer work. Yeah, and yeah. cider is the autumn work, and summer and cider is the autumn work. Yeah. Let's talk about that cider, you know, a little bit now. You you make both of these, you make beer and cider simultaneously, and and uh, seek out that kind of natural method for your cider. Yeah, as well. Um, talk to me about the creative inspiration for that, and uh, you know, also balancing like we were talking earlier with natural wine. Yeah there's an interesting challenge to not destroying the character of the, of the fruit ingredient with the process that you use through that fermentation, Uh you know, with apples, that can be a similar thing. You could very easily create, cider that is just about the funk and uh, you know, with the ferments to you know fully dry and eliminates all the sugar in those apples and and leaves you with very little left. Talk to me about making wild, you know, focused cider in a way that also captures character, you know, from the apple ingredients.
1: I think for, for ourselves, there's not so it's, there's not a real difference uh, in making beer cider or wine and, and, the main thing I think that connects it together is or the search for simplicity, to, to keep it simple, simple, but also pure. So we don't, because we don't want, say, some microorganisms to dominate it all because then you lose the balance. Right. Um, but it, it, it was just very logical that we would just do cider because I think I tried to explain that we, we try to, also in the, in the brewing, we try to stay hands-on for everything that we do. So to grow as much as we can, what we what we cannot grow is is the say the barley, uh, and the wheat. So we, we for the beer we still rely on that. With the apples we can just harvest all stuff ourselves. So we never buy any apples; they're all self harvested uh, here. But also like old orchards that are they're they're always high 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 grafted trees, and it's not commercially it's not interesting. So it's always very old varieties that are very resistant. Um, but then we... High graft. Yeah. So so they're grafted at right. a height of two meters. Okay. And so they, they, they grow like really high, big trees. Um, but the roots go also much deeper. When you see the plantations, they're, they're grafted very low. Right. So they're easy to pick. The roots don't go deep. They're with a lot of trees on on, on a small surface. But you get, You see those apple orchards where they've got very thick trunks, but very small, low trees yeah, 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 for yeah. that same that's, reason. You, that's everywhere around. Yeah. We refuse to use any of those apples uh, because it's just sugar water. If you press that, there's no character. Yeah. The benefit where we noticed the old varieties, they were planted because they can you can store them very long. Now they want a very thin skin and they want, very, they want it very sweet, just the eating apples. But they're not they're not interesting to make cider with. The old varieties, I guess they're higher in acidity, which makes them you can store them longer. A lot of the varieties that were planted here, I know you can just store them in a bag in the stable till April. They, really? And they keep well. Six months and You don't need anything. You don't need any refrigerator or oh. uh, you can just store them in the stable. But that's that's because it's old different type of apple. Right. And then we learned somehow I think in the beginning we were we didn't know so much about, about cider, so we were just looking after the Normandy style cider which is like the most known here in Europe, which is really heavy on the apple flavor. It's really a kind of farmhouse cider with often a quite a lot of Brettanomyces which makes it a bit heavy. So they ha- they have the residual sugars and they have a great apple aroma but they're pretty heavy to drink. They don't have the freshness. But then we, I think we adapt, we, we we learned to make them more in tune with our beers. And I think also, I think in general, a lot of the beer lovers, they, they appreciate that because it it just really f- fits really well with the flavor that we're also looking for the beer. So that means they're h- a bit higher in acidity than, than the general uh, ciders, they're also a bit higher in alcohol. And that means t- they go more in the direction of, of some of the pet nuts. So the natural bit uh, pétillons, so the spark- mm-hmm. sparkling wines that are a bit made lower in alcohol. So it's, say, 8% and a bit higher acidity. They go into direction of sparkling wine. And that's what we like to drink ourselves. Uh, those kind of ciders, which so they're easy drinking. And that's why we also after prep, because it just fits in also with the season. At the same time that we're pressing apples, we're also pressing the wines because we've macerated, say, the grapes for two weeks. Then we have some tanks, and so we add mostly the skins of all the grapes to the cider. It's not we're not purists just in the sense that we say like no, you should only be able to taste the apple. It's not like that. Let's say. We use f- herbs and fruits on the beer too, uh, but we we want to, f- to have a clean, say, base character of the cider. We want a good fermentation, um, but it adds tannins. Like we ha- we add the herbs for the beers to structure it. So we use the grape skins to structure the cider hmm. because in in the typical cider areas they they have bitter apples. They have s- cider apples that are specifically meant for making cider. They have bitter. This is something we, we don't have here. But instead, in the beginning, we, we drove to Normandy to get some bitter apples. But then we said, no, we have to do it another way. And that's what we decided we're going, oh, no, we're going to use the grape skins. And so now we use all the grapes. Because you have them here and you're growing oh, yeah, your own we're grapes them. Here. Here. We're pressing yeah. it. It's very logical uh, to use it all together. And so this year, most of the barrels that we saw there, we added some of the wine. Because the wine, we don't release the wine as such because the volume is not so high. And it's for us more interesting to blend it with the beer or with the cider. So you make wine with the grapes here that you're growing yeah, yeah. in your we, backyard. You first make the wine. But yeah. you don't
0: release wine no. as a standalone thing. No. It only finds its way yeah. into blends with yeah. your beer yeah. and your cider.
1: Interesting. Because let's say with the volume that we have, there are so many good wines Say, yeah. say yeah. made in uh, also, not so far from here. Let's say the the Mosel, which is one of the best places for Riesling, is a two hour drive. Uh, or, the, or say Bourgogne, you rise like five hour drive, and it, you have fantastic wines. There's there's no need, say, to compete with that. But there are not so many people who are just making these blends with cider and beer, and it's something where we just that we can just do our thing. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Well let's uh as we're getting on here, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the big picture. You know, for for you and for antidote, what's uh what's the goal? And what does, goal, su- oh, what it's, does it's success what does success look
1: like for you? Uh, uh the goal is very simple. Um just uh, to keep doing what we do. Just uh to be to have fun in what we do. That that's actually the the most important. Uh yeah and to keep the freedom to do what we want to, to be to not look too much to say this the outside world or the market or whatever uh we just want to keep the freedom to make what we want in a in a in a pleasant and beautiful setting uh so we always hope to to grow some more stuff uh, yeah. like that and my, that's also something that my wife really likes likes to, to help with uh so all the prunings of the trees and so we we, we have another uh we, we haven't go there we didn't go there but at the other side of the road we have another plot where we planted also uh, a little vineyard and some fruit trees uh i think our, our idea of expansion is not to make more bottles but just to to grow more stuff ourselves yeah
0: that's it beautiful Oh.
1: Beautiful. So, success is is a year with good fruit. <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs>
0: well, hope that the uh, the climate uh, agrees with you, and uh, uh, you know and you have a, a fantastic uh, harvest uh, this year. On that note, let's call it to a close. For nearly thirty years, G D Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. ESG sources hops directly from growers and processes them in their FSSC certified facility. Think outside the puree box with Old Orchard's Craft Concentrate blends. Get detailed insights into your fermentations with Brew Monitor risk-free. Put SS BrewTech's advances to work in your brew house. And try New Zealand's most flavorful, sustainably farmed hops from Hop Revolution. Of course, if you enjoy this podcast every week, we would love your support. Go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button and vote with your Dollars. No, thank you all who listen and subscribe for making it possible for us to do things like come to Belgium and talk to inspiring brewers and share some of their approaches with you. Um, it's your support that helps us make that happen. We appreciate it. Tom, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Pleasure. Yeah. If uh, if people want to learn more about Antidote, um, finding your beer, because you don't make very much of it, uh, is not necessarily the easiest thing. But uh, where do people find you and find Antidote or find your beer in the, in the general world?
1: On a website, we have a list of uh, places, uh, mostly in Europe, uh, of where to drink or beer. So we, there's a range of, of restaurants, uh, I think in, in most of the neighboring countries yeah. uh, and in Belgium, of course, uh, there, there are bars and restaurants uh, spread out over Belgium. And uh, You have a membership rest. club that occasionally
0: yeah. o- opens up to some new members here or there, but uh, it's still a little hard to get into.
1: Yeah, we're full. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> it's a good good problem to have. Yeah, yeah.
0: what's the what's the website or where, what are you on social media?
1: Uh, it's
0: just antidot.be, and that's a n t i d o o t
2: dot. B-E. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I think we didn't get quite enough from the philosophy professor. I wonder if he could <laughs> he could explain the double meaning of the name for people.
1: That's true. What's the double meaning? The of, double meaning is. Uh, antidote the the words also exists, of course in English uh, as a kind of counter poison people ask me counter poison to what that's I think it's mostly the the all too modern approach uh, I think the the issues that I have with modernity as such it's that it's always focused I think we are still very modern uh, as a society is that it's a virtual program so if you if we look at the Descartes, it's, I think, therefore I am. That's, that's a virtual thing. That's, they say, we think there's life in the virtual and we discard the whole, say, material uh, side. Uh, I think even the whole craft scene is still completely locked up in that virtual paradigm. Maybe not so much a home, but in, in general, I think it's very recipe driven, for example. A recipe is a virtual thing. I think what we do for us, it's not about the recipe. The recipe is not important. We can give the recipe to everyone, and everyone will, will make something different. It's much more about it, what I think in the wine world they call terroir. But I mean that in a very, say, broad. It's not the so- not just the soil. It's just the whole installation, the setting. That's why you see we try to create a kind of vibe in the brewery. So like this, scientifically, this doesn't make sense. Maybe, but I think. very important it's it's material it's that's also why we have to do it we it's not we don't rent a brewer or have a brewer no no we have to do the brewing because it has to it has to be our hand to shape it into a personal product and it all connects to to say to to the material side i think if we would just grow and would go out to a warehouse somewhere on an industrial an industrial it would be a totally different product so that's which we really tried to think in terms of say the material the material connection to it which is much more important than, than say a recipe or a, or a concept and uh, uh, then the other word is 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 that antidot dot in, in in dutch it means that death death yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's, it's debt it, would mean owing people uh, money theme. so we are yeah, yeah yeah also death. also yeah. against that
1: yeah so yeah, sure. yeah also yeah. we yeah. don't want to be in debt but it's about life yeah uh, it's about the way we want to live uh but it's there's no direct access so that means we have to go to the through the material say the the skull he has an expression like the spirit Spirit is a bone; it has to materialize, uh, and you have to go through the opposites. So you have to go through that. You have to go through the hard work. There's no direct access. You cannot just. You have to go through the sour. You have to go through the bitter. There's no direct. The sweet is the illusion of the direct access to the good. That's the that's the Disney version. That's the (laughs) that's the pastry style. uh, But we have to go through the sour and bitter.
2: To get, then, to get to the sweetness of life, yeah. yep. the and then the
1: seasonality—you
0: uh, know—of what you do and the rhythm to what you do uh, lives out that same, you know, philosophy of, of life and death through the seasons. Yeah. Things grow, yeah. things are harvested, things uh, die, yeah, things yeah. grow again, yeah. and it echoes that uh, that entire, yeah. you know, focus on life and moving through. That's the compost pile. Huh? Yeah. 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 Well, on that note. Tom, thanks for joining us on the podcast.
2: Pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, Tom.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com. Or find us on social media at Brew.